God Rest You Merry Gentlemen is an interesting song, and I hope that it's, it's, it's a new understanding. As I was preparing for this series and looking at different songs, it was for me. It brought a whole new meaning. In fact, this song was one of my least favorite Christmas songs. And the and, and reason was it didn't make a lot of sense. But as we understand the context in which it was written, we can see the foundation for it clearly come out, which is God's desire for us to be mighty in Him, to be confident in Him, to find our security in Him. In fact, in recent years, as the song has been explained. There have been scholars that have tried to, to, to question its dating, but as you look at the meaning and the words of this song, you can see that the, the dating really is what it is based upon this new understanding of the text. God, make me or make us mighty gentlemen or mankind. That word Mary is the same word that's Mary when it speaks here of this mightiness that God is calling us to live. And in that mightiness, we can be joyful and we can experience this joyful, but you can't rest joyfully in the Lord unless you understand God's might and power and sovereignty. And so this morning, we're going to spend time looking at at the foundation of this song out of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. And last week, we looked at really the first part of Isaiah 9. But the truth is, is that Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7 speaks of the anointed king who enables God's people to live in the power of his name. You see, Jesus redeems mankind as God's anointed king, freeing believers to live in the power of his name and the loving security of his kingdom. Jesus redeems mankind as God's anointed king, freeing believers to live in the power of his name and the loving security of of his kingdom. As God's anointed king, we're to live with God's anointed power through Christ. And so, we have to understand that Jesus was appointed for a purpose. Jesus is the fulfillment of this king, this coming king who was given the purpose to redeem God's people. Jesus didn't come on a whim because God made a mistake. Jesus came as a part of God's plan, as the chosen one to redeem God's people to establish his kingdom and restore us to God, to the Father. 
In verse 1 of Isaiah 9, it says in earlier times here, in earlier times, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This king was coming and his purpose was to reveal God's glory. And so the Messiah comes with this purpose to redeem mankind, but the redemption of mankind is not simply so that we might have salvation, but it is so that God might be known and his glory might be seen. God's salvation is first and foremost about him. about his love, about his righteousness, about his holiness, about his sovereignty. And it's easy when we live in a culture which feeds our own egos and where we are impatient to get what we want. We can identify and see God through the lens of ourself rather than through him. See, salvation is first and foremost about him and his glory. And we are the benefactors. We experience the blessing of his glory and of his goodness and of his graciousness. And so it goes on and it simply says this, It says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It speaks directly to the anointing of Jesus that this is God's purpose, that he is given to us for his glory and for our salvation. And it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You see those names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, these are the names of Jesus. And names are important. They identify who we are and our relationship with others. Many of us have different names, do we not? In my own life, some of those names might include brother, friend, father, husband, just to name a few. For others, it might be shepherd. Or pastor. For others, it it might be accountant, homemaker, wife, mother, daughter. Landscaper. Grocer, right? We have all different names, right? Think about that for a second. 
When people don't know your actual name, what do they call you? We've been there before, right? Sometimes it's, hey, you, which we find demeaning, do we not, a lot of the time? Just say, excuse me, not, hey, you. Because the truth is, is that part of our name allows us to be known, too. And so even if they don't know our real name, but they know us by what we do, we are being known, are we not? Names matter. And names are associated with our character, and they point to our influence with others, both good and bad. In fact, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Now, I want us to think about something here. As we do this together, as we walk through this together, we need to understand the context. God doesn't just want to say that his son has come into the world to save, but he wants us to live in the power of who he is day by day. And so because names matter, Christ's names are to change our lives. And Isaiah gives his names because this is who Christ is and who he is to be in our lives. He's to be a wonderful counselor. He's to be mighty God. He's to be everlasting father. He's to be prince of peace in our life. And see, experiencing purpose or endurance or freedom and joy requires of us then to walk in the power of his name. And just for a moment, I'm going to actually steal. No, I'm not. Can I grab a copy of the notes of the song? I just realized, for me, that I've left it sitting in one of the spots. Thanks, Scott. And so, oh, you know what? Thank you. I do have it. Anyway, thank you, guys. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> it's one of those times. But the best part of this is, God, rest you, merry gentlemen. In verse or stanza three, it says, From God, our heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and under certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. The name of Christ is to have power. The name of Christ is to have power in our lives. And so how do we experience the power of Christ's name in our lives? We're going to look here at four specific things because we're going to look at his four specific names. So the first in verse 6, it refers to him and it says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, we're to submit to his leading and obey the perfect counsel of his word. If we want to experience the power of Christ in our life, it starts with our submission and obedience to him, to his perfect word. See, the word counselor in Hebrew is the word yawats, and it literally refers to the act of advising on a plan or a purpose. That's what it deals with. It's the idea of advising on a plan or a purpose. 
It deals with the perfect wisdom of Christ in fulfilling his plan and purpose for our lives, that God is working this out and that God has a perfect plan for our life. You see, as followers of Christ, we have to deal with the question of who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve God? Are we going to serve ourselves? Are we going to serve Friends, who are we going to serve? By going to God's word, we can know that as we submit to his leading and obey him, that we are following the counsel of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Jesus knows our need, and he knows our heart. He knows everything about us, and he is the perfect counselor, but we have to trust his counsel. It's too easy when God says, be anxious about nothing, to go, yeah, but you don't understand. I remember talking to a family member, and this family member was really prone to worry. I remember sitting in a room with this person and saying, you know, I just want to encourage you. Scripture says to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, to come for the Lord. And I remember the one response back to me was simply this. I've never thought about that for big things. I get it for small things, but how do you do that about big things? The truth is we do it the same way. We do it the exact same way by saying God's word can be trusted, and as I submit to him, and I obey his leading, and I obey his counsel, I can trust that God is going to bring forth his will and his purpose and his plan. It's easy, isn't it, to get caught up and say, well, yeah, I believe God's word, but there are a lot of parts that I don't. In practice, we can claim one thing but do something entirely different. When we're trusting in God's sovereignty, do we really believe? Do we really believe that God is going to work forth his plan even when we don't like it or even when we're uncomfortable? When God calls us to step out into faith, to go to a foreign land, do I trust that God truly is going to protect me, he's going to provide for me, and that his protection and his provision may be radically different than what I think it ought to be. See, it's easy to say that we trust in the sovereignty of God and believe in the power of his word until we're left completely vulnerable where the only one that we have to rely on is God and his sovereignty and the promises of his word. But that's why Jesus came. Because we have the presence of the wonderful counselor within us who is bringing forth the word of God. 
The fact that he's revealing it and allowing us to see it and understand it and experience it is proof of the truth of his word. One of the reasons that we as a body of Christ preach expositorily, where we walk through the scriptures and preach the text, is because Paul spoke of not shrinking from declaring to the people the whole counsel of God. All of it is beneficial to us. We believe that to be true, and we cling to that, that God's promises can be trusted. So his another name here becomes Mighty God. Mighty God. And so we're to trust and rely on his strength to fulfill his will. If we want to experience the power in his name, we have to trust and rely on him. It's a whole lot easier, isn't it, if God were to take care of you financially and you're the one that's able to give generously? Totally different story when you're the one receiving that generosity, isn't it? That trust and reliance that comes. See, God wants us dependent upon him. And I believe too often one of the reasons that we don't experience the mightiness of God in our own lives is that we live in a culture that is very self-sustaining. We look for lots of ways of securing our future and providing in the presence when in reality God is the one who is the security of our future and he is the one that is securing our presence. When we think about the mightiness of God, do we not often think of God as this mighty overworker? I'm not talking about distant and not personal. I'm just talking about his mightiness out there. But in Jesus, his mightiness is in here. You have, through Jesus, his power at work through you. Which means that those things that become overwhelming in your life can be dealt with through Christ as I submit to him, as I obey him, and as I trust and rely on him. Because then it is his mightiness at work. That word mighty in Greek literally means strong or brave and upright. And Isaiah is pointing out that Jesus is God, and if Jesus resides within us, God is the one who's working through us to fulfill his will. It's not us. It's not in our strength. And that's why we can say, God, rest ye merry gentlemen, or God, make me a mighty man. Let nothing that I fear and it goes on and it says, remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. The same God that saves us in our sin is the same God who's taking that same might, that same power, and working through us. Do we believe that? So often... We stop seeking God for many reasons. Maybe it's busyness. 
or stress or sickness or discouragement or disagreement with his word or sometimes it's just simply for rebellion. And we actually replace the mighty power of God with the weak power of humanity. Jesus wants us walking in his might. And when Christ came, when he was born, God reminded us of his might. That he was the author over all things, not just some things. In this season, are we remembering that God is a mighty God who can do the impossible, who works the impossible, who is our security in spite of our circumstances? Can he be trusted when we don't understand what's happening? Can he be trusted when we say we're going to step out in faith and trust the Lord's going to provide for us? When he's leading us in a new direction or telling us to hold on to another one? Do we trust and rely on his strength? When we're battling sin, do we feel helpless and overcome or do we see that, yes, in my flesh I am defeated, but in Christ I am victorious and it is by his power that I will experience victory. Alistair Begg puts it this way. He says, usually if we are walking, we go from strength to weakness. We start fresh and in good order for our journey, but by and by the road is rough and the sun is hot, so we sit down by the wayside and then resume our weary way. Matt Chandler adds this, he says, but this is kind of what happens every time we presume to put God under the microscope of our scrutiny, our logic, or our preconceptions of what he should be like or what he should do, because we become easily disappointed when we make God into our own image rather than into his image. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Aren't there times in our life where we try to counsel God? God, if you would just do this, I can tell you right now, I would experience the happiness and fulfillment that I'm looking for in my life. <laughs> just, just make this happen because that makes it easy for me. We lose sight of the fact that God is mighty and our fulfillment will never be in the things of the world, but they will be in God himself through the work of Jesus. Circumstances will never produce ultimate happiness, but Christ will. The third thing and the third name that he's given here is Everlasting Father. That which is eternal comes only through Christ. The only way that we experience eternal or everlasting life is through Jesus If we want to experience that eternal life and we want to experience the ongoing blessing of his kingdom at work, 
We need to be people who are pursuing or seeking him for eternal life and blessing. We need to be marked by our own seeking of Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's through Christ that we experience eternal or everlasting life. And what is not being said is that Jesus then becomes the role of the Father or the role of the Heavenly Father in terms of that he all of a sudden meshes the two essences together, the the personhood of we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what he's not saying here is that there's this this loss of the Father and the, the Son and they blend together, and now Jesus becomes our Father. That's not what he's saying. He's saying here that it is through Jesus that we have life and relationship with the Father. And it is through him then that then we also experience the blessings of a child of a father. It's through Jesus that we inherit the kingdom of God. That we become heirs to the blessings of God. The same blessings that were poured out on Jesus are now poured out on us. So Jesus is able to treat us as sons. We're told in scripture that he desires to bless us. That if an earthly father desires to bless his children, so does the father. And it's through Jesus that we have access to the Father and therefore we experience the blessings of the Father. The blessings that we experience in life are a direct result of Jesus and his work. And it refers to his character and father-like love for us. He cares for us as his own children and desires to bless us. And Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, when Jesus comes and when God sends his son, that part of this season, this Advent season, is that we might reflect and see that we are heirs of the kingdom of God. That God's blessing is being poured out upon those who have repented and believed because we are heirs of the kingdom. Isn't it too small when we come to a place when the only thing that we think about is salvation? Right? There's so much more going on than just our salvation. Jesus' work is an ongoing work where his desire is that we might live in and by the power of his name. And because of that, we get to experience his his wonderful counsel. And because of that, we get to experience the mightiness of God. And because of that, we have eternal life that comes with the blessings of children with one that is treating us as sons and desiring to pour out whatever is best for each of us.
Do we see our current trials or our current circumstances as blessings from God so that we might turn our reliance towards him rather unto us? See, God is constantly pouring out his blessing. And we need to be seeking him. We need to be seeking him. Because once we lose sight of who he is, once we stop pursuing, we lose sight that God is really blessing as a father to a son who is an heir to the kingdom. In verses four through five, it says this. It says, fear not, these, said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. What's the author pushing back to? He's saying, listen, this is one that can be trusted And then listen what it says. The shepherds at those tidings rejoiced much in mind and left their flocks a feeding in tempest, storm and wind, and went to Bethlehem straight away, the Son of God to find. O tidings of joy, of comfort and joy. Where was this comfort coming from? It was coming from the security of knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. And that he is the giver of life and the giver of ongoing blessing as heirs to the kingdom. The fourth name that he says here is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This name in Hebrew literally means the prince whose coming brings peace. The prince whose coming brings peace. You see, the truth is that Jesus has brought peace between God and man. In Ezekiel 45, we're told, and I want to encourage you to write that down. Ezekiel 45 tells us this one simple thing about the prince. How much thought have we really given to Jesus being the prince, not simply the king? Well, Ezekiel 45 tells us, it says this, It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feasts, the new moons, and the Sabbaths, all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. What was the role of the prince? The prince was to bring all of the offerings, those offerings that would atone For the nation of Israel were to be brought by the prince. When Jesus is called the prince of peace, what it is saying is is that Jesus has brought all, the one full offering that atones for mankind's sin, and it is good enough for all. And the way that we experience that atonement is by repenting and believing on Christ. And salvation is available to all who repent and believe on Christ. This Prince of Peace, 
this prince brought the sin offering, the grain offering, the bird offering, all that was needed for the atonement of sin, all that was needed for the atonement of mankind in himself, the perfect, unblemished lamb. He presented himself and went to the cross for us, bearing the weight of our sin, dying our death, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sin, And raising again on the third day, defeating the power of death. The perfect sacrifice who brings peace between God and mankind for all those who believe. We're to rest in the peace of his salvation. We're to rest in the peace of his salvation. If we want to experience the power of his name, we need to be resting in the peace of his salvation, no longer believing the lies that if I just try harder, God's going to make me right. Nope. God's already counted you right, and Jesus is working within you to make you right. And so we submit to him and we trust him We rely on his strength and we seek him. And all the while, God is doing his work and we get the freedom to rest in his peace. And that peace comes because we know that we have been saved by his grace, not by our work. Notice the author of this song. As he makes a progression around the song, coming down from the mightiness of God and the counsel of God, he comes in and he says simply here in the sixth stanza, he says, and when they came to Bethlehem where our dear Savior lay. Do you notice the change? This Savior is personal. And it's personal because he has been restored to relationship with the Father through Christ. Jesus brings peace to our heart. And we're to walk in that peace. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. God wants us to rest in the peace of his salvation. If he's called us to it, he's going to do it. If he's called us to it, he's going to carry us through it. If he's called us to it, he's asking that we submit, that we we seek, that we trust. And then he's asking us to rest in his work. I don't know if you remember as a kid, if you got to ride on your dad's shoulders. But for those that were able to ride on their dad's shoulders, there's something unique about that, isn't it? You're above everybody else. You feel like there's nothing that can stop you. And as you go along, you're able to look around and see things that you had never seen before. And you don't have to worry about anybody on the ground because you're trusting that your dad's walking you right through it. That's exactly what Jesus wants with us. See, when we are trusting in him, when we are submitting to him, 
When we see him as the wonderful counselor and we see him as the mighty God who's not simply out here but is in here, when he is our everlasting father and we're able to rest in his peace, boy, things look different. All of a sudden, the power of Jesus at work brings freedom. And a freedom that comes by seeing lives changed and renewed and transformed and our own lives where we look at and go, gosh, man, I used to really struggle with that. But God, you've brought victory here. And Lord, days and those days where I'm feeling alone, I've got some place to go. But more than that, you're taking those days and you are renewing me and you are showing me your mercy and your grace And and Father, where before I was bound up in fear and I would not have stepped out, my security is no longer in my situation or circumstance, but my security is in him. And now I can step forward in doing the will of God, confidently knowing that Christ is my source of security and it is his power by which I live, rather than me trying to control my circumstances and figuring out the ends to everything else. So, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father and he's Prince of Peace. And in verse seven, we're told here in Isaiah, it says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And then it says this, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who's going to do it? God. And because of his zeal, his fervency, his faithfulness. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, zeal or rather jealousy is love stirred to action by opposition It tolerates no unfaithfulness in the object of its love and flames up against all antagonism to the object. He goes on, so the subjects of that Messiah may be sure that a wall of fire is round about them which to foes without is terror and destruction and to dwellers within its circuit glows with lambent light and rays out with beneficent warmth. What's he saying? He's saying simply this. If you're on the outside, it's terrifying. But if Christ is within you, it's freeing, hopeful, and joyful. That's his point. Because here's the crux of this, is that God establishes his kingdom on Christ. Our foundation, our foundation and purpose for his glory. Christ is purposed for God's glory, not man's. Verse seven of the song, it says, now to the Lord sings praises all you within this place and with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace this holy tide of Christmas all other doth deface. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. God establishes his kingdom on Jesus. We are not alone. And as a result of that, he brings unity through Jesus. 
And this unity is brought for his glory and for his purpose. His purpose is that we might live in the power of his name as wonderful comfort, excuse me, wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father and as prince of peace. And may we, as we sing this song of God, rest ye gentlemen a little bit, may we no longer see God's power as out there, but may we see it as within here, as we've repented and believed on Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, as we just prepare our hearts for communion right now, may we rejoice that you are truly the one who is at work within us. May we meet not def- defined by the weakness of the world, but may we be defined by your strength. May we desire to experience your power at work within us And may we cling to your name. Father, may we be a people who are pursuing you, who are submitting to you, who are trusting you, who are seeking you, and who are resting in you. Fully knowing that it is by your work that we are made righteous, not by our own. Settle our hearts this morning. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we declare together that we have truly repented and believed on you, and we ask this in your name. Amen.